Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. good just to be in the house of the Lord. Today, my assignment, my preaching assignment is on the prophet, the minor prophet called Micah. So you may want to turn in your Bibles to Micah and uh, just kind of look at it. You've had a chance. You found it. For those that receive our church bulletin, uh, there was certainly uh, a, um, a video clip, which was just excellent. I hope you had a chance to take a look at that. And you'll find that uh, it kind of gives you an overview uh, of uh, Micah. Uh, Chuck Swindle. A, a famous author uh, that uh, many of you know, and you've heard him speak. Uh, he's a Bible teacher as well, and he poses the following questions about the book of Micah. And I just want to share these questions, and then we're going to kind of work our way through them this morning. Uh, these are the four or four or five questions that, that he poses uh, about the book of Micah. Number one, who wrote the book? Number two, where are we, or where was Micah in history at that time? And why is Micah important? And what's the big idea? What's the big idea that Micah is trying to convey? And, and how, how do I apply this? So that, that's where we're going to try to go uh, this morning. So let's start off with the first question. Who wrote the book? Uh, it's, it's not too difficult. And the minor prophets, usually they are identifying themselves right at the very beginning that they are the ones that uh, wrote the book. They are the ones that were certainly inspired. They were called prophets. And the reason they were called prophets is because they saw some things that nobody else saw. They, they, they not only were aware of, you know, just some of the trends that were going on in their culture, but they also saw some things that there were in the spiritual realm, and they were about ready to tell. And they were about ready to convey to their audience, hey, man, uh, this is what we're seeing and, uh, uh, and uh, had a lot of uh, ups and downs uh, for the, uh, the audience. So the book is written by Micah. The Bible tells us that Micah from Moresheth. Uh, Moresheth uh, was located southwest of Jerusalem. And so here, here's my thought. Here's my conjecture. You can argue with me if you want. But in the, in the days when Micah was around, if you didn't live in the city of Jerusalem or Samaria, you were a farmer. Because that was the kind of culture that it was. It was agricultural. And you raised animals, you, uh, you grew crops, so that, that's how you survived. And so, so my, my opinion and my thoughts on Micah is that he was a farmer. And you're going to see how this kind of translates in just a little bit. A little bit. So, so if he was a farmer, then he looked like a farmer. No offense to any farmers here today. Okay, I, I'm really, I don't have you in mind, but I'm just thinking about Micah. So I look, and Micah, he looked like a farmer, and he walked like a farmer. Okay, you ever see how farmers walk? They used to have two buckets in their hand, and they walk like this. Because they want to watch where they're going to step, right? Okay, all right. So farmers, they have a walk about them. He smelled like a farmer. If he was a farmer, he smelled looked like a farmer. And as I have read and, and reviewed the book of Micah, I find that Micah was, he was kind of, he was an in-your-face type of guy. He was a kind of guy that he was ready to pick a fight with you. Do you know anybody that is ready to pick a fight. My wife is one. She'll pick a fight with anybody. <laughs> but she always wins, too, so you know that I don't pick a fight with her. Okay. 
Could be a long day for me, folks, after that one. Okay, okay. Now, Micah. Micah, you know, because of his, probably his rural background and so forth and saw some of the stuff that was going on in the cities, he cared. And this comes into play uh, quite, quite a bit uh, when, when you listen to the, uh, the book of Micah. He cared for the lowly and the less fortunate. He cared for those in, in society that were lame, either physically or because of the structures. He cared for the outcast, and he cared for the afflicted. And all of these, these characteristics about Micah, they, they, they kind of uh, unfold here as we look at the book. He was confrontational, and he was confrontational in particular in dealing with the leaders of Israel and Judah. So that that's, gives you a bit of uh, um, background on Micah, kind of in-your-face type of person, farmer. You know, man, he was, man, for those that were uh, having a rough time, for those that were considered uh, the outcasts. So where, where was Micah uh, in uh, in the history and, and certainly uh, in the history of uh, Bible history and so forth. According to Micah's own words, he was called to speak. And chapter 1, verse 1 says this, The Lord gave this message to Micah of Moresheth during the years when... And now take a look at this. So if you haven't been following this very closely as we've been talking about the prophets... These prophets that we've been sharing with you, they, they were called at certain times and to, to speak to certain kings. And, and so uh, uh, Micah makes it quite clear who he was called to speak to in his lifetime. So the Bible goes on to say, uh, Micah Morsheth during, during the years when Jotham, now Jotham, he was a good king. The Bible says, Jotham did that which, which was right. And then also, uh, Micah was called to speak to Ahaz. Ahaz was an evil king. Ah- Ahaz did that which was wrong. And so you see this throughout, the, you know, you threw out these, these, uh, the kings of Israel and, and Judah. There were good kings, there were bad kings. Man, it was up and down. One king would get, the other king wouldn't. And sometimes it would just go on and on. And then finally, uh, Micah says he was also called to speak to Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah, once again, he was a king that did right. And all these kings were the kings of Judah. So so the visions he saw, the Bible says, concerned both Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria would be the capital of of, uh, the northern kingdom, and uh, Jerusalem was the capital of uh, the southern kingdom. So let me just try to keep tracking with me. You can see, because this book gets really significant. It's very significant to us this morning, especially with what we've heard in our service through worship time. So ever since King Solomon, David's son, David's son, uh, King, uh, King Solomon, and then uh, Solomon had this incredible reign, but man, things really went south on Solomon. Then his, his son, um, uh, Rehoboam, uh, and Jeroboam, or Jeroboam, sorry, uh, and then another one called Rehoboam. And so what happened after Solomon, uh, his reign, there was his son Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and the kingdom was divided. It was not a good day. The kingdom was divided. Jeroboam was king. He became king of uh, Judah, which would be the southern kingdom, and uh, Rehoboam would become the king of the northern kingdom called, called Israel. So sometimes it gets a little confusing. So when you, you're listening to us preach on this on Sunday morning, listen closely. So when we talk about Israel, we're talking about the northern kingdom. And then when you hear talk about Judah... 
we're talking about the, the, the southern kingdom. So the northern kingdom was called Israel with the capital city of Samaria. The southern kingdom was called Judah with the capital city of Jerusalem. The messages or the message or I think the messages that Micah brought to the divided kingdom. So he spoke to both. Not all the prophets did this, but he spoke to both, both kingdoms, north and, and south. So the message that he brought to the, the divided kingdom was because of their willful sin. Remember, now I told you, he was a confrontational type guy. I mean, he was in your face. And so he was coming to both these kingdoms, uh, north and south, to, especially to Samaria and, and Jerusalem. And man, he was in their face. And he was calling a spade a spade. And he was saying, listen, it's because of your willful sin. This is what is about to happen. And so as you listen to, to the, uh, the messages, you find that whenever there is willful sin in the people of, of, of Israel and Judah, man, they just kept on. They, weren't, they were warned. Uh, they had plenty of opportunity to repent. And they refused. They refuse. So willful sin will always bring the judgment of God. Willful sin. You do it, just do it on purpose. I wonder what God has in store for our country. God doesn't change. I mean, he still, he still does it the same way. Willful sin. So I wonder what he has in store for our country. Bible tells us that Micah was a contemporary of Hosea and Jonah. We heard about Jonah last week. So you know that Jonah and uh, Micah were living around the same time. Uh, Micah undoubtedly would have witnessed the northern kingdom of Israel being taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And so what, what you see, if you can just think about it just for a moment, you appreciate where we're going here, is that historically what's going on, the northern kingdom was worse off than the southern kingdom. And so they were carried off into captivity before the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was carried off by the Assyrians. And we'll hear more about what happens to the southern kingdom. And so Micah, he was a contemporary of Hosea and Jonah. And Micah undoubtedly would have seen all these things happen. And so it's almost like he, he could, he's watching, saying, all right, Israel, you're going to reap the consequences here. And he's looking at Judah. Hey, Judah, guess what? Guess what's coming your way? So, why is Micah so important? Why is Micah so important to us this morning? You got to get this. Remember, remember these prophets, they saw some things that other people didn't see. All right, so one of the most significant prophecies, get this now. If you don't remember anything else, I'm saying you should be able to remember this one, but one of the most significant prophecies concerning the birth of Christ is found in the book of Micah. Come on, there it is. All right, take a look at it. It's found over in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And this is one of the most significant. But now this is a hint. This is a hint about what Micah was seeing in the spiritual realm. In Micah 5 and 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem. Everybody, Christmas time, right? We know, we know all about Bethlehem, right? Okay, Bethlehem is definitely where Jesus was born. And this was the prophecy. This was the, this was the word that came to Micah about this one that would be born in Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephratah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet, a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past 
will come from you on my behalf. So there it is. That was one of the first prophecies about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And so uh, the significance is that Micah, although he may not have known the name, he knew that someone was coming. So during Micah's life, he would have witnessed the roller coaster ride. Uh, Attica, don't worry about it. It's all right. You'll get over the roller coaster, okay? And you'll be able to do it, I'm sure. But during Micah's life, he would have witnessed the roller coaster ride of Judah. And in particular, going from Jotham, the good king, Ahaz, the evil, and Hezekiah, the good. You'd think they would have learned. So my observation is this. God has put up. There was a lot of inconsistencies that God was putting up with, with Israel, northern kingdom, and, and Judah. But don't remove yourself from the equation here. God has put up with a lot of inconsistencies in the church. A lot of ups, a lot of downs. That's not really about a church building, is it? It's really about us and about followers. And so... So what was going on with Israel and Judah? I mean, you know, we're not immune to, to ups and downs. So that's why messages like this today, they, they speak to us and they go to our hearts. And so God has put up with a lot of inconsistencies in the church. And you got to know, he doesn't, always, he doesn't always continue to do that. Okay. I think God's speaking to us. And I think God is doing some great things in our church. I think our lead pastors, Pastor Chad and Pastor Melissa, I mean, I think they're doing a fantastic job. Uh, and, and, you know, um, I have the privilege of uh, being with them on a weekly basis. We have staff meetings. and our staff meetings, we are always sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as a church. We, uh, we have leaders that want more than anything else in our church services for the Holy Spirit to move. We want to see the Holy Spirit move. We want to see you receive from the Lord. We want to see people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as, as a personal Savior. We want to see people healed. Uh, man, there, there, there are so many things, and that, that is the desire uh, that, that we, we have together, and I, I think we're in for some great days. So, so with Micah, let's ask ourselves, what is the big, uh, the big idea? There, there are two significant predictions that that Micah makes and one is of judgment judgment's coming he's in the face and he's pointing their finger he's pointing his finger at the kings of Israel and the kings of Israel he said I want you to know judgment is coming and I don't care how you think I don't care what you think about me but judgment is coming so that was the first one and then the other the other thing that he says he says but I got good news for you you're going to be restored and so, so there's this two-sided message that, that uh, uh, Micah gives. One, the judgment on both Israel, northern kingdom, and Judah, Samaria, uh, uh, the southern kingdom, or, or Judah uh, is the southern kingdom, which brought fear. Anytime, anytime, anytime you go to court and you're in front of the judge, it's not a pleasant experience. It, it brings fear. It brings respect, and it brings, brings awe. So, so Micah, so he's, he's bringing a message of judgment, and, but at the same time, he's going to bring a, a message of restoration uh, of God's people. 
God's people. Of course, they were hoping that it was going to happen right then. But also, we know that as you take a look at it, he was talking about God's people being returned uh, in, the, in the millennium and sometime in the future, which we haven't seen ourselves. But the message was one of judgment and one of hope at the same time. We have to remember, when we read the minor prophets, the people and the problems they were speaking to had been around for a long time. The sin, the rebellion, the ups and downs, the revivals. There were times that God moved, and the falling away had been taking place ever since 925 B.C. up until 586 B.C. For those that are historians, those, you know, you follow those kind of things. I mean, it was a long time uh, as, as the, uh, these uh, people who knew better, who had been uh, uh, redeemed, they had been delivered from Egypt, and, and God had been so good to them. They had these ups and downs. God had spoken many times. He had given them all kinds of chances to to listen and to obey. But in the end, they refused. In the end, they refused. God, the Bible tells us, is, is merciful and slow to anger. I came across this quote. Uh, by a guy by the name of uh, uh, Seth Stewart. And uh, I, I think Seth was uh, a guy that spoke a lot to, to uh, young adults and, and young people. And he has, he has a few comments about the book of Micah, and I'd like to share them with you uh, this morning. Because he talks about, man, this is kind of hard to get my head around. I got judgment going over here, and I got restoration going over here, and I got, you know, this thing in the bin. How does that all work? And so Seth Stewart says this about the book of Micah. He said, when secular scholars read Micah, they often conclude that it is written by at least two distinct authors. They reason that it is impossible for one God to be so full of wrath and judgment towards sinful Israel, and at the same time promise those same sinners his sweeping visions of mercy protection, and deliverance. Quite a, quite a keen observation, right? You see, and so from a secular, how does this work? And the, the secular mind says, that just can't be. You can't have somebody that's coming down so hard on them, and then you restore them. What's that? You can't beat them up and then you know, bring them back in sort of thing. So that's how he, he makes his observation. But he goes on to say, Micah gives us an opportunity. And, and he's going to use some words that I probably wouldn't use. But you try to follow along, all right? Okay, so Micah gives us an opportunity to explain the divergent or, you know, the difference set, the different set. And he goes on, he uses this word of the excellencies of God. You see, actually, judgment is one of God's excellencies. And his restoration is also one of his excellencies. So, so Micah, he says, gives us an opportunity to explain this divergent said of excellencies in our God. God's mercy and his justice are not incompatible, but are in fact our only hope. Our only hope, he says. While our world will see these two attributes of God and conclude that they are incompatible and offensive, he says we can show our students that Christians must cling to them as the power and the wisdom. 
power and the wisdom of God. Because, you know, the Bible says, and Paul talks about this, he says, if we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, all of us, all of us are, are, are destined for the judgment of God unless God has intervened, has, has come to our, to our rescue. I like what, um, I like what uh, Nikki Gumbel says on this because what we're really talking about when we talk about judgment and restoration and how, how does God pull this all together, there's only one word that really helps us understand, and that word is mercy. Mercy. It is God's mercy that is able to take care of the judgment issue and the rest of us somehow bridge that, that gap. And so Nikki Gumbel says this. One of God's amazing characteristics is mercy. Mercy means being kind and good to people who do not deserve it. Do you know anybody that doesn't deserve mercy? Do you have someone in your life right now that you're, man, you're holding out on them and say, man, you know what? They don't deserve for me to be kind to them. They don't deserve for me to, to love them. They don't deserve for me to give them a second chance. I'm sure we all have had challenges like that, but this is why Nikki says, mercy means being kind and good to people who do not deserve it. God has extended his mercy to you and me through Jesus Christ. And his mercy, guess what, folks, never runs out. I'm so glad this morning that when I woke up, according to the scripture, that the mercies of God, they are new every morning. I also like what Nikki has to say, and he's, he's really talking about the prophets. He says, over and over again, God speaks to his people in an attempt to draw them back to him. The fact is, God the master does nothing without first telling the prophets the whole story. And that, the point is that he's making is just that these prophets, when they came, it, you know, it just was, they weren't flying off the cuff. The, these men in particular that we, we read about uh, is that, that God had spoken clearly to them. These people had had words from God. They had visions from God. And so that when they spoke, they were speaking as an individual who had clearly received from God and they could see what was not only going to happen in the immediate future, but in the distant future. I love what Seth goes on to say. And this is so important. This, to me, this is really the sermon. And if we don't get this one, we've probably missed it, okay? But listen to it very closely. And there's, there's, it's a quote, and I believe it's going to be on the screen. If Jesus, if Jesus, and this is where Jesus comes in between the judgment and, and the restoration. you got to get this. If Jesus, and I love the word that he uses here. He says, if Jesus had not absorbed our sin, something had to be done with our sin. And so Seth, he points out this way. If Jesus had not absorbed our sin on the cross and give us, given us his righteousness, because our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags, then he says the secular scholars might have a point. It would be impossible for God to be both that angry and that loving towards the same people. The only way both justice and love can coexist is if they meet, and I love this phrase, on the wrath, and this is the cross of Jesus. This is what we sing about at Calvary, the wrath of 
absorbing righteousness. Get this, something happened on the cross of Calvary. Pastor Melissa, she talked about, she talked about that veil that kept us separated. That veil was there on purpose because God had to be dealing with our sin. But on the day when Jesus died on the cross, something happened. Yeah, the veil was ripped in two. That's right. Now we could have exact, we could have access to him. And the reason was, is because on that cross, and let me read it again. On that cross, we, we see that they, uh, they are absorbed. Jesus has absorbed it. The only way that both justice and love can coexist is if they meet on the wrath absorbing righteousness giving the cross of christ wow man oh man oh man man that was so good man i thought that was going to be a shouting point i thought man we were going to be running up and down the aisles pastor chad i thought i was going to be taking up another offer but it didn't happen all right okay all right okay all right okay 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 listen people well 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 micah never knew jesus name you can see him throughout this, throughout the Bible, and and there there are all kinds of uh, writings, and there are all kinds of books uh, out there uh, that talk about Jesus in uh, every book. But I, I want to draw your attention for just a moment, because as as you read the book of Micah, you can see Jesus in the different passages. And today, some of you need to hear about Jesus in these different passages. Some of you today are going to be able to identify with, with some of the people that, that, that Micah is going to identify. This may not be for everybody, but I guarantee you that there's somebody here in this room, you need to hear about Jesus. You need to hear about Jesus in Micah. You need to hear about Jesus in this service today. You need to hear about that absorbing cross where he paid the price for you and I so that you and I could receive his grace and that we could be, receive his mercy. Oh, the mighty golf that God did span at Calvary. In Micah chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, here's what it says. We can see Jesus. He is the warrior shepherd who rescues and gathers his flock. He says this, I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep to a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. There's somebody here, somebody here this morning, you need to see Jesus as your shepherd today. You need to see him kind of say, come on, follow me. You need, you need to hear that still small voice says, this is the way, walk ye in it. There's some of you today that that once again, you just need to know that the shepherd is leading you. Some, some, some of you are, are, are uh, drying out. Some of you are going through the valley of the shadow of death. But you need to know that the shepherd, and Micah saw him. He saw the shepherd. He saw this shepherd warrior, and he said, that's Jesus. So Jesus, uh, uh, in Micah chapter 2 and 12, he's our warrior and he's our shepherd. And Micah 4 and 3, please help me to keep under control. And Micah 4 and 3, you see Jesus. He is the judge who turns weapons of death into salvation. All right, I want to read that verse with you. and It's found over in Micah 4 and 3. And it talks about Jesus, and it says this. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. Who is he talking about? Is he talking about some king? No, because the kings had failed. No, Micah was talking about the one that he knew about that was going to be born in Bethlehem. He saw the one that was going to be restoring Israel and, and Jude. He was talking about Jesus. He says he will judge between many people and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords 
darts into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Talking about that day when Jesus will reign. Over in Micah 4, chapter 6, or chapter 4 and verses 6 through 7. There's Jesus, you can see Jesus, he is the Lord who dignifies the lame and the outcast. Oh, listen to what it has to say. I remember told you, Mike, Micah, he was for the down and out. He was for those that had been thrown out and had been despised by society, the social outcast. And he says, in that day, and that day declares the Lord, and this is what Jesus does when we come to the cross. And that day declares the Lord, I will gather in the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away, a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. There's some of you this morning, you came into this service. Yeah, come on, give the Lord a hand. That's good. That's the one case. Because Micah, he meant, he was upset. I told you, he was ready to pick a fight because he knew that these kings and these societies, they had, they had thrown, um, they had thrown those that were less fortunate and they had preyed on, on those that weren't able to defend themselves. And some of you this morning, you came into church this morning, you felt lame. You felt like you had been beat up. You feel like and the enemy may have been beating you up. And, and maybe it's been, you're, you're, who are you? And, 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 and maybe you're saying, man, I feel defeated. But I want you to know today that Jesus is the one. He comes to those that feel defeated. He, feel, he comes to those that are lame. He comes to those that are beaten. He comes to those that everybody says, oh, you're an outcast and you don't have a future. And he says, no, yes, you do. Because I paid the price. I paid the price for you on the cross of Calvary and in, in me and you together, I want to know there is new life. I want to know that we are more than conquerors. I want to know that when God comes through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he pours in the new wine. I want to know he pours in, he pours in the oil. You know what happens? Old things pass away and all things become new. So I don't know who you are today. I don't know how you are. You came and you may feel disappointed and discouraged, but I got good news for you. Jesus is here today. I want you to know Jesus is here and he's rescued. Say, come on, come on, come on with me. I want you to know, hallelujah, that Jesus is the mighty victor. And I want you to know that today, today, today he breathes fresh air into you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No, you're not on the outside looking. You're part of the family. Come on, you're, you're part of the family. And Micah 5 and 2, he is the king who will be born in Bethlehem. You already heard about that. In Micah 6, 6 through 8, he is the God who does not desire sacrifices but mercy. Oh, this is, you got to appreciate this. I mean, Micah, he's a farmer. Okay, he probably wasn't that educated, but he was just a farmer. But boy, does God give him the inspiration. As you read all of Micah 6, you see that he's talking about a court case. And, and he is telling Israel, yeah, you, Israel, he said, you are going to court. And you're facing the judge. And I'll tell you, if you read Matthew 6, and I'm going to read a bit of it, just the first few verses, and you listen to it. And you've got to appreciate where, where this has come from. But this is what happens when the anointing comes upon us. Right, pastors? When the anointing comes upon us. We you know, have to be careful what we say, right? Okay. But the anointing comes upon us. And, and I've got a sermon right here. But there's another sermon that God gives you when you step into the pulpit. All right? You know, you know you're counting on what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And over in Micah chapter 6, um, verses 1 through um, probably 8, it says, Listen to what the Lord is saying. Can't you see him now? Little short stubby Micah. 
Can you see him there? Reads in your face, and he said, listen to what the Lord is saying. Stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and hills be called to witness your complaints. And now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people. He will bring charges against Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? This is God speaking. He said, what have I done to you? Why have you treated me this way? Why have you rebelled against me? Why have you refused to follow in my ways? And so he says, oh, my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me, he says. Can't you just see it? Can't you see that short stubby farmer? <laughs> I mean, he's ready to pick a fight. He says, what have you done to me? Can't read that king's face. I can imagine the old king's eyes were just a blinking, you know, as old Micah was giving it to him. And he goes on to say, He's, and God says, for I brought you, I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed and how Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal. And when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness, what can we bring to the Lord? You say, should we bring burnt offerings? Should we bow before the Lord most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, no, oh people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Make it, Micah makes it quite clear. It's not your sacrifices. It's a people that will come before him and humble themselves. So in Micah 7 and 9, and we're going to come back to that verse because that's where we've got to leave the chapter in our discussion on Micah. But in Micah 7 and 9, we see that Jesus is both our judge and he's our advocate pleading our case. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. And that's true for all of us until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out in the light and I will see his, his righteousness. Oh, I, I, I like this verse and I like the picture that we have. We see that, that, that here we are we sit, we're in our simplest. We stand before the judge and we're found guilty. But then, then in, a, in an act that we can never imagine and never consider how it all works. And, and that we know that the judge has got to bring down the hammer. But before he brings down the hammer, the judge gets down. He puts down the gavel. He comes around from his, his big high uh, a desk and he comes and he now he stands beside us and he says okay I know what the judge said but I'm here to defend you and I tell you when you go to court if you got to go to court it's a good thing to know that the guy up there that is going to about to judge you is now your friend and he's down there it's a good thing that when you go to court that you know who the guy's father is and that you can stand with him together and know that at the end of the day that the judge is about ready to come down with a hammer he's the one that's standing beside you I'm going to pay the price I'm going to take my place and my place is going to be instead of you and as a result you are not going to have to pay and that's what jesus did for us on the cross of calvary that's what jesus did for us he absorbed he absorbed our sin so that you and i you and i could have experience eternal life that you and i could experience uh his his righteousness and and if that if that hasn't rung the bell yet this morning i want one other just one other spot, and we talked about that a little bit, and, and, and Pastor Melissa, you, you, you were really kind of preaching this point right here, and I want to read First uh, Peter 2 and 9, and then I'm going to be done. 
Okay, in 1 Peter 2, 9, uh, uh, we, we see, and this is, we've talked, we're talking about how Micah, and how we, we see Jesus in, in Micah's chapter, but this is how Peter, this is how Peter saw us. And in 1 Peter 2 and 9, and this is the declaration uh, uh, that the Lord makes uh, uh, about his followers of Christ because of those that have come to the cross, those that have come to know him as a personal Savior. He says, listen up, people, but you are a chosen people. I'm talking to chosen people today. I'm talking to those that have been bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what you are chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Come on, people. A holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's what Jesus has done for. Come on. You've been called out of darkness into his light. And that's what our people today, today you got to let the light shine. And as Pastor Melissa said, there were, Pastor Chad, I think it was Pastor Chad talked about the definition of darkness. There's no such thing as complete darkness because we represent the light. There may be, there may be some darkness, semi-darkness, but when you step in, when you step in, when I step in, when we step in as, as God's children, redeemed by the Lord, hallelujah. Guess what? The Bible says, and it, it always works this way, it always works this way, that when, when, when light enters into the room, darkness flees. It always happens. It always happens. And you have been called to show and shine his light this morning. So how do we apply this sermon? Go back to Micah 6 and 8. And we hear these words again. No, O people, I don't want sacrifices. It's not sacrifices that I want with you. He says, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. And so today, today as, as you're here and we read these words, let me say them again. What he requires of you is to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So how, how do I do what is right? By being obedient. Today, there may be some of you today that you just need to make your heart right with the Lord. I mean, he's, he's paid the price. He's, he's already, he's, he's died on the cross for you and I. So today, we're gonna, we'll give you a chance just to make your heart right. But there are others of us today, I really want to challenge all of us today how do we do what is right? By being obedient. How do I love mercy? There before the grace of God, go I realize, hey man, I could be there. Uh, uh, how do I walk humbly with God? I want you to try something with me this morning as you close. Okay, let's try this together. When I have been in the presence of God like we are this morning, and I sense his, his Holy Spirit moving. I don't want to look around. What I want to do is bow my head. And so this morning, I'm just going to ask all of us throughout our church here. I'm going to ask all of you with me, let's bow our heads. Just, just put it, just really... Bring it forward. Just being so conscious of God, his holiness, his love, his justice, and his mercy. And with our, our heads bowed, I'm going to ask you along with me, let's ask him to forgive us of our sins. Let's ask him to, to come today and forgive us of our sins. Not... Not so much the sins, because some of you say, well, I haven't sinned. Probably the, 
the, the issue is not what you have done, it's probably the issue is what you haven't done. And so this morning, with our heads bowed, we pray, Lord, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of those things we have done. Forgive us of those things we have not done. And with our heads still bowed, we've asked God to forgive us. Now let's ask him to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We live in a world that has fallen. We live in a world that as soon as you and I walk into the public place, we are exposed to the filth of this world. You don't, in, you don't intentionally go there, but it happens. So this morning, with our heads still bowed, we say, Lord, Lord, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we just made a prayer. And as the Bible says, that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us and forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, so we thank you today. We thank you today that, that you, you have called us. We thank you today that you are our, that you are our advocate. We thank you that, that you have paid the price for us on the cross. You've taken care of the judgment that was coming our way. We thank you for the mercy that you have extended. We thank you for the new life that you have given to us. We thank you for the light that now we can share. And we thank you today that, that you are our, our Lord and Savior. And we thank you that you are the King of Kings. And we thank you that one day, as the Word of God makes it quite clear, that we will rule and reign for with you. So Lord, today, we want to be your people. We want to be your people that walk in the light. We want to be your people people that declare the goodness of God. So, Lord, we give you all the glory and give you all the honor in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.